Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 86. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. That means that each time one of us gets to choose something and force the other one. I don't like the word force. That's right. Compel? (laughs) Suggest? One of us recommends. We have laws one now of us recommends a movie or TV show for the other person to watch. We watch it together, and then we unpack it all here for you. It's all about taking turns. Ashley got to take her turn last time, which means we're back to me, and I chose the 1974 movie "Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore" by Martin Scorsese. Mm. That's what you chose. That's what I chose. <laughs> Why did you choose that? Um, I don't know. I guess I've always had it on the back burner and I was pretty sure you'd never seen it before. Didn't see it. And for me, I'm going to say his name both ways, all the ways, the whole time. I can't be consistent about Scorsese. I'm probably going to say Scorsese. That's what I grew up saying. The other one is Sezzi? Scorsese, I think, is how you actually pronounce his name, but I can't do it. Okay. It's like trying to say database and database or whatever. I say both all the time. Okay. Okay, anyway. Well, I won't criticize you for either pronunciations of either of those words. As a a kid who wanted to learn how to be a filmmaker in the, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, going to college and all that, um, Scorsese was like a formative film director for me. So he's always been important to me. Less so in the last 10 or 15 years for me. It's kind of like I had my Scorsese phase when I was young and seeing Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and Goodfellas and all of the big Scorsese movies. Um, I I kind of fell off the track at some point. No. Um, But I was pretty sure you'd never seen this nor realized maybe that he made a film like this. I mean, I'm sure you were aware of it. It doesn't... Like, it does. It wasn't like what I was expecting I, at all. I wanted to give you. He's. I mean, however you feel about Scorsese, and maybe I think most of us think of him as you know a gangster film uh, maker primarily. I mean, he movies makes very about masculine very films. masculine movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, just In, to, to and urban movies, masculine urban movies. Well, gritty, <laughs> violent, um, very dynamic, very filmy. You know, yeah. with the cuts and the shots and the moving camera and all about the editing i mean he's got his anyway so i wanted to give you a scorsese movie unlike one that you'd ever seen before Mm. but that's just the brain's way of telling you why that's that's my rational mind telling Mm. you why i chose it i think um there i have personal connections to this movie that will probably come up along the way i mean here and there i'm going to probably reference them but i associate this movie with my mom Mm. Um, I don't talk about my mom an awful lot. I have a complicated relationship with her. But back then in the 70s, um, I, I now seeing this now, I actually see a lot of my mom in this character and our situation. She and my mom, I mean, she and my dad got divorced. Um, she was, a, you know, a single parent for a while. I mean, I, they shared custody. But I remember being, you know, an 11, 12-year-old kid like Tommy, the, mm. the boy in this film, with his mother, Alice. <laughs> My mother's <laughs> name wasn't Alice. But the mother-son relationship in this reminds me a lot of our relationship, I guess, yeah. in some ways. We were very close for a few years, you know, around that time when they got separated. And um, and uh, I don't know, there was that kind of balance of 
having a mom that's a parental figure, but also kind of a friend who talks to you like a real person. And I think there's some of that in this too. Mm. But that said, she literally also was the person who showed me. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure I saw this movie with my mom on TV at some point, or it was on the TV. I remember the opening scene with the fake Warner Brothers, like old time movie studio yeah. setup um, at my grandma's house watching that. And, um, but I actually didn't see the movie until probably years of watching the sitcom. It was just one of the shows that, you know, we didn't, in, in, you know, you grew up with whatever's on TV back then. Yeah. We didn't have streaming. We didn't have even probably cable TV until maybe 1980 or, or something like that in our house. So this would have been on CBS Sunday nights or something like that. And it was one of the shows we watched. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up watching the sitcom Alice, which was kind of loosely based on this mm-hmm. or very based on it, but with a completely different tone, different actors, all that. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> We've never done a Scorsese movie on the show. Yeah. I wanted to choose something that's like a deep cut that yeah. would kind of maybe reveal something different about him. But I don't know. I think it's an important movie. Ellen Burstyn is fantastic um, as the lead character. And the other big connection to my mom is this was the role of what she thought she had to be as a woman at that time. Yeah. Housewife, give up your dream. Um, and then when the divorce, when, you know, in, in this film, Ellen Burstyn's husband dies. Dies, Yeah. Coca-Cola accident. But, but that, that thing of having to support and raise your son and, um, after having put all of your dreams on hold and, and, uh, been caretaking other people, all of that, that so many people, probably most people had to do. Yeah. uh, For generations, you know, after... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from the 1950s on or where, yeah. whenever. Well, yeah, um, from the end of, you know, <laughs> I always think it's interesting, this, like, idyllic period that people like to remember of, like, women taking care of the household. I mean, like, that only existed for, like, 15 years from, like, the end of, or maybe 20, from the end of um, World War II when men, when men came back from the war and women were coming back out of the factories and recreating this like per this ideal of what American life should look like, which only really existed and, and never existed in the way that people see, think that it did. Um, but, uh, well, this is exactly (laughs) Alice is like exactly my mom's generation. I mean, she's, my mom's probably a few years older, but this was her story basically. So I, I guess I think it's well established that I have like a giant blind spot when it comes to films of the 70s. Like you could pretty much show me like any film from the 70s and like their chances are that I haven't seen it. I mean, like what we watched Clute um, not too long ago. That was an interesting, um, but like, like I vaguely (coughs) know who Christopherson is and and, like mostly because he came up in that uh, P.T. Anderson movie that we saw over the summer. (laughs) Um, I actually don't think he's in it, but no, he uh, wasn't. That wasn't him. I know, but I looked up the people that uh, that uh, Barbara Streisand was dating in the seventies, and Chris Christopherson was one of them, or something oh, like okay. that. Yeah. So well, they anyway, made, that they, was the relationship. They made a Star Is Born together. Yeah. So there's been so many versions of that, yeah. but they made one in the seventies that was yeah. Streisand and, and. So I just, I mean, like 
pretty much like any, it's just because I was born in 1981. Um, you know, 70s didn't really have a big, you know, I think it's having maybe about five years ago, like 70s was everywhere and, and people were obsessed with it. And so I kind of got an idea of what it was like. Um, so yeah, I just, and then I just haven't seen very much Martin Scorsese. I mean, I've seen some of the newer stuff, but, um, I've seen After Hours oddly. Um, so <laughs> I would have chosen After Hours as a, yeah. as a different good Scorsese movie. That's kind of out of what we usually think of as, as his, well, his my, body of work. Yeah, my, my ex-husband beat you to it. So I'm sorry about that. You know, so. okay, but you've seen Taxi Driver, right? I did watch Taxi Driver. You probably haven't seen Mean Streets. I've not seen Mean Streets. You've probably not seen Raging Bull. I've not seen Raging Bull. And I'm thinking probably because you have no interest in seeing Raging Bull. Uh, yeah, boxing movies are not my favorite thing. Um, you yeah. also don't like self-destructive people. I, I'll, yeah, that's I, I did not enjoy Taxi Driver so, at all. So <laughs> If you want to see another abusive, self-loathing, self-destructive character, Raging Bull is a perfect movie to uh, <laughs> encounter someday. Right? It's, it's a hard watch. Yeah, so I mean, and I've seen um, like The Departed, and I saw um, the um, one he made with the the butcher Billy the Butcher. I know the Gangs of New York. The Gangs of New York, and then I read about how he it wasn't supposed to be Cameron Diaz, and it would have been better if it wasn't. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But I, yeah, I just haven't seen much in the sort of like formative years of, of Scorsese at all. Okay, really. well, I mean, uh, although on one level I'm now second guessing, <laughs> like I should have chosen a different seventy scores. I'm still glad that I did this. I think it's the only film he made about a woman. That's from a, a woman's point of view. He doesn't make stories about yeah. women usually. Well, um, interestingly, we did watch because you got like a box set. Oh yeah! Last year, did we sometime? watch uh, the documentary? We watched the documentary he made about his, his mom, mom and Italian his family American, life. Yeah, which is really good. So I mean, I think there's some of that in there, you know. So I'm glad I saw that. Yeah. Before we saw this, because, um, it's funny. Like, <laughs> I didn't know what to expect when we were. I I don't know. I expected some sort of like tough talking woman working in a cafe in New Jersey or something like that. This is what I was expecting going into this film. Well, I so. like throwing... I, I, I knew like there to, was a diner involved. I but. like for you not to know. <laughs> like, if it's if it's a movie that's kind of completely off your radar, maybe you've heard the title or something, I, I think it's cool to have you watch it without setting it up in any yeah. way. Like, I didn't even tell you it's a Scorsese movie. Yeah. You know, I didn't know if you knew, but the, then the credit comes up, a Martin Scorsese picture or whatever. I did know, but... Um, uh, the opening scene is interesting. I mean, the credits are interesting because it looks like a nineteen, like a film from the nineteen fifties, like a. Um, so it's a perfect, like just amazing technicolor, like like. It's blue with red. Yeah. The credits are red. It's but a the, mock scene a, from a technicolor movie, it's, and then it's like blue, like crumpled up blue fabric in the background, and it really does look like the beginning of. Um, Written in the wind, or you know, or uh, and it's got a one of those like insane orange kind of sunset twilight mm. things right out of Gone with the Wind or something. Yeah, like it was that. very Gone and with the Wind. And it's a looking. flashback of Alice as a little girl whose dream was always just to be a singer and on, on singing, her farm in Monterey. Yeah. You know, walking down the lane and singing an Alice Faye song while her mom's calling her in for dinner. Yeah. 
Also a weird scene because they have Ellen Burstyn doing the voiceover of the little voiceover oh, really? of the I, little girl and the mom. So it's like completely lodged in her mind. So all the dialogue in that scene is... So <laughs> we're just in her... I didn't even think yeah, about it's, that. It's just it's in uh, her brain. Um, Interesting. So also odd is where this is set. This is all in the Southwest, you know, which yeah. is interesting because this is like... I, I grew up in West Texas. Um, we went to New Mexico all the time. So this story starts in Socorro, New Mexico, where um, Alice uh, married some guy and ended up back in his hometown. Tiny little town in uh, sort of south-central South New Mexico. And I was surprised to hear that you'd been to Socorro. <laughs> of course I've been like, to Socorro. Like, that really does look like Socorro. I guess they yeah. filmed it in Socorro. Well, if you're, com- if, you're coming from, if you're coming from Rodoso and going up to Albuquerque, yeah. you go through Socorro. Um, so we used to vacation in Rodoso, and sometimes we would drive over to Socorro and then up to either Santa Fe or Albuquerque via that sort of central line that goes through okay. the middle of New Mexico. I have a connection to the Monterey angle of this movie, yeah. not the Southwest <laughs> angle. Um, and then I guess we go to Phoenix and Tucson and like my grandparents, growing up, my grandparents lived in, uh, Phoenix. Uh, so we would go out there and visit. I mean, that's actually how, why I have greyhounds now is that one time we were visiting my grandparents, um, <laughs> and they took us to a greyhound racing thing and there was an ad- adoption place, like a little table set up for adopt a greyhound. And that's, oh, that's why we have Lana. That's why we have greyhounds. I'm yeah. sure you've told me this six greyhounds times before, over the years. Yeah. I didn't remember the greyhound origin story. So, except- I mean, like I'm kind of, I, it's, it's interesting when I think, cause I just spent a vacation in Albuquerque. Um, and like, the thing is, is like, that feels like how I grew up because at the time, and I don't know if it's still the same out where I grew up, but we felt much more con- like connected to the southwest of the U.S. because Texas is so big, and there are parts of Texas that feel more southern than than. And Austin kind of doesn't really feel either. It feels kind of coastal, I guess, in a way. But but like, there's this. I don't know, like the mountains and the the big views and the giant skies and the weird plants and the sort of dry air. And there's a whole thing to that. So, I mean, like it looks like Socorro looks a little bit like where I grew up. I think it's a little more mountainous than where I grew up, but you know, same, same deal. So I was familiar with that landscape, you know, and that aspect of of being in a tiny little town where all you have is like your neighbors and, and you know, the diner and, your weird grumpy husband. <laughs> yeah, so let's back up a little yeah. bit and fill in like the the main plot yeah. line is Alice is uh, married to kind of a loud, uh, kind of abusive. Well, he's like he's like quiet and won't talk to her a lot, he and then he yells her. and throws things. And like I thought, I didn't when I we were. And watching, she cooks and cleans for him. Yeah, they have an eleven-year-old son named Tommy. And makes dinner and all that stuff. He's a truck driver for Coca-Cola or something yeah. like that. Uh, they don't have much of a marriage at all. No. Doesn't talk to her. He grunts. He shouts at the kid. He expects his dinner at a certain time, and then he goes to work. And that's kind of the relationship. Well, what's interesting about that is like I just figured by the way that he talked to the kid that it wasn't his kid. And. I, no, I mean, maybe kid. that's just a symptom of, of like, 
I didn't have that kind of relationship with my parents. They didn't like scream at us every all the time for doing kill children things. Well, you my know? impression is he doesn't really have a relationship yeah. with the kid yeah. or with Alice. Yeah. So he's, he's on the road, and then he comes in for a couple of days, probably, and is there. And yeah. So anyway, he's like an extreme introvert. <laughs> the setup is uh, she's in this loveless marriage. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, he's killed in a car accident. Truck. In a really bad. I, just, I was like, what? Well, when she the gets truck. the call that he died, I was like, what was he in a Coca Cola accident? He was indeed and I in said a. He co- was actually in, in a Coca Cola. And so they do have the sort of grisly Martin Scorsese like death scene, you know, where they're showing like. Oh yeah, it could have been a shot out of Goodfellas <laughs> when all the guys are massacred. You didn't need that. I mean, through. like no, her picking up the phone and answering it and then the, starting to cry. Like the, we probably could have gotten a Scorsese that. Scorsese thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if you hadn't known it was a Scorsese movie and you pointed to a few elements, that would. That, I actually wrote that down. Yeah. What are the things that tell us this is And one of them was like the grizzly truck accident. Yeah. It's. Uh, uh, um, well, they have like blood tracks running down the front of the car. Yeah. Yeah. It was like not necessary, no, but okay. I actually remember that being a little traumatic when I saw this one. I was probably about Tommy's age. Just well, I, I mean, we like, didn't even have a color TV, but yeah. I, the idea of a really bad truck accident. Just or, think how far we've come in like car and glass safety in the time since then because those were like true like you know shards of glass and and like yeah cars are much safer trucks are much safer than they used to be so (laughs) so uh so now alice uh is totally broke and has a kid she's got to raise and they do a garage sale sell all of their stuff load up the car she says goodbye to her best friend and they hit the road and her idea and her dream and her goal is to make their way back to Monterey, California, where she grew up, and we have the weird Technicolor flashback in the beginning, and resume the career she put on hold of of trying to be a singer, like a piano bar singer, basically, some kind of a singer. And so the plan is really like, let's make enough to get across country, and we'll stop along the way, and I'll get a job here and there trying to get this started again, (laughs) and living out of motels and and, uh, by the week. you know. So they end up first in Phoenix, and um, and so the the film is is her you know trying to support her and her son and like figure out her life again yeah and who she is outside of this this marriage and this identity as you know cooking and cleaning and supporting someone else. It's interesting. So like early on in the movie, like after her husband dies, she's having a conversation with the neighbor, and like the neighbor's like, I just couldn't do this without a man around, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. So that's like sort of established early in the movie. I don't, well, I I don't know. It's maybe, I don't know if this is a more truthful narrative for the time period. Um, I would have wanted her to, to eventually end up with a a fragment more independence than she ultimately ends up with. Yeah. You know, I think it's partly we're seeing it through. We're not able to see it through the lens of 1974 and like how steeped in this lie or this kind of, well, she can't get credit. I mean, like women couldn't get credit till like 1978. So, you know, um, it's not like she could buy a house or take out a credit card or, you know, you know, yeah. get credit at Sears, you know, so I mean, like it is, it is more difficult. And she has been a housewife for at least 
12 years, probably a little bit more, you know? Um, So she doesn't have any sort of marketable skills. Um, So it's interesting to me that they have to stop in Phoenix, though. Like, that's like, we're going to make it to Phoenix, and then I... We're going to rent a cheap hotel. I, they're really on fumes or something, yeah, I, I guess. guess. Well, she but... had like $159, I think, after the life insurance and the funeral and everything like that. And then they didn't make a whole lot from the garage sale, I guess. You know. <laughs> well, I think she was joking because Tommy says, how much do we have? How much do we have? And she said, well, we had 10000 before she the funeral. She said 2000 Two thousand. Oh, okay. She says now I have about a buck fifty nine. I think she meant one hundred and fifty nine dollars after the cost oh, of I the funeral. She was just joking around. No, I like, think that I've got a I think Brad that here. she spent almost. Yeah, <laughs> I think she spent like eighteen hundred dollars on that funeral. Nevertheless, they do uh, they do stop in Phoenix, and to get a job for her means going out to the mall or whatever, to the strip mall and getting a dress and mm. doing up her makeup and then hitting the pavement, walk, going bar to bar, trying yeah. to see if anybody needs somebody to sing a singer. I can't imagine that piano, uh, singing in Phoenix would have made you a whole lot of money back then at all. Maybe just tips. Yeah. Well, and she's not having any luck and yeah. she gets a break because really she, she, she ends up in a, in a bar with somebody who will like with an owner who will actually sit there with her yeah. and hear her story for a moment. And she kind of falls apart and he takes pity on her and says, even though he's got no piano or and can't really offer her anything, he says, well, let's go down the road, go down the street to the piano bar and you, you can audition for me. And she does. And that's her, that's her big break. Yeah. <laughs> she gets to she perform gets to, to play the piano in a in a dive bar and no and or maybe I mean, all bars were like that in Phoenix at the time I don't know and it's not like she's <laughs> bad I mean she's good I mean she has a good singing voice but she's not great what are the weird songs that she's singing, oh, she's singing I have no idea I well, was like why is she not singing like well uh, she sings <laughs> she needs to play American standards what's going on here <laughs> I think they're less familiar things okay. because what I mean I was looking uh, there was a song there was a list of all the songs in the yeah. movie and including the ones that she sang and the ones that are on the soundtrack and so she sings a Rogers and Hart song there's another one that's a Gershwin song and then okay. there's some other they're some like others deep that Gershwin deep cuts to, or yeah. something. Well, I mean, think of how many songs these guys wrote. <laughs> well, it's interesting because that's another thing that I'm not terribly familiar with was what the popular music of the 70s was like. And I get the idea that it was not the music that I'm familiar with, which is either like hard rock kind of stuff or um, like disco. Those are the yeah. kind of the my idea of what the 70s music was. And then the, I'm pretty familiar with like the R&B kind of 70s music. But I don't know what white people were listening to then. Were they listening to this kind of stuff? I mean, I know Barbara Streisand, some of her stuff, which is really weird, or Bette Midler, their stuff is really weird for me to listen to. It's like this like talk, sing yeah, kind of story type songs. That. You know, I don't know. Well, um, I can't tell you because I was a kid. Yeah. I know the music played around my house, but my parents, who were not very hip, would, yeah. have, been, would have been my mom, who was more interested in popular music, and yeah. she probably owned, like, a Simon and Garfunkel record. She probably had Carpenters, you know. Okay, they're there, Carpenters, There's an Elton John song on the soundtrack, you know, that's a little bit more poppy. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I, 
my my parents grew up singing hymns and stuff like yeah, that, and I had so. you know a handful of records and and not very well. Many. And my da- I mean, my dad was in a bluegrass band, and then yeah. my mom like played the Eagles in a in in bars in Canada. So well, I mean, like, so do you remember in um, Woody <laughs> Allen's Annie Hall? She's trying to be a singer, mm. and she's also singing standards in in a piano bar kind of setting. It's okay, that same kind of thing. But they're ones we recognize. Like yeah. it had to be you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I think that's particularly. I mean, like I guess that Nina Simone has some stuff that's kind of that way, but much better. Well, than... I just think that there's still a, there's still a thing where some bars have a, a pianist who yeah. takes tips and sings like the standards. Yeah. I mean, that's all that we have to accept here. <laughs> you know, well, and Billy Joel already told us it's about science that. Fiction. So yeah, we, we know about we the piano man. About yeah. Yeah. We didn't start the fire. It was five o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or nine o'clock. It's interesting, though, that you, you mentioned that. I mean, I think it's really important, your observation, that she sees that a man's going to be in the picture no matter what, that she can't imagine yeah. doing being <laughs> doing life without yeah. a man in some... So, so the first one comes along, right? Ben. Ben. And we know it's a Scorsese movie because it's played by Ben Har- Harvey Keitel. Baby Harvey Keitel. He did not get naked. Or did he take his shirt off? He took his shirt there's off. There's a there's a yeah, his shirt is off. Okay. Yeah. It's not full nudity. There's but. no, there's a long shot of them in bed together okay. with his shirt off. Yeah. That's that's it. This is years <laughs> before grunting naked Harry Harvey Keitel. Um, but he's so young. He was very so, young. So you know, um, it, it's he's he's less broad than he was. Usually, I think of him as a pretty broad dude. Yeah, he's not kind of slight. Well, in this. you know, at th- this is definitely a Scorsese picture thing. So look, I'm going back and forth yeah. again. Is K- Harvey Keitel's like with Martin Scorsese in every movie for the first I don't know the first six films or something oh, like wow. that. So he's in. I think he's in his student film. I'm not 100% sure about that. He's in his first feature, black and white movie, Who's That Knocking at My Door? He's the Mm -hmm. lead. Um, He's in Mean Streets, which is right before this one. He's the lead with, I mean, he and Bobby D, (laughs) Robert De Niro, Um, but he's the lead. Um, And then there's this. So this is a direct carryover. Then he's in Taxi Driver, which is the next film. So this is right between Mean Streets and Taxi Driver. And so you carry over Harvey Keitel and Jodie Foster, because we also have baby Jodie Foster in this mm-hmm. movie. Like, baby Jodie Foster. Like, she's, what, yeah. 11 or something. Yeah. She's tall for that age. And I think she's, like, almost exactly my sister's age, because I mm. remember my sister really liked Jodie Foster growing up, and because and, they grew up she together. She has that almost, like, Dorothy Hamill haircut, too. Is yeah. That, although, but, that would be later, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't Dorothy know, but... This is another connection as yeah. I, you know, I grew up like watching Bad News Bears, Jodie mm. Foster's in that. And so I remember she was always like the same age as my sister. Okay. So. Yeah, I think yeah. I looked up. She was in the first version of Freaky Friday in a little bit after this one, a couple years later, 77 maybe, 76. Yeah, I think she was born in 61. Like so she's like 10 years younger than my Yeah, dad. and I, I guess a year older than my sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ben... Harvey Cattell, talk to me about this guy. Well, I mean, like, he's fine. I mean, like, he just is persistent. I mean, like, that's essentially... The th- the interesting thing, of <laughs> talking about the music, 
what was distracting to me is when she's meeting Ben in the background is the original Dolly Parton version of I Will Always Love You playing, which, like, I realized in 1974, like, nobody would have known or cared, but I could not focus on what they were talking about because I Will Love You was always was playing in the background. So I've never, <laughs> I don't, I probably haven't seen this film yeah. since, what is it, Whitney Houston? Who is, who, who? Whitney Houston, yes. Yeah, the, I mean, the, that, the, for, for the bodyguard. I didn't know this song yeah. when I saw the movie, so it wasn't distracting to me. Okay. It still wasn't distracting to me until you pointed it out. Well, I didn't even, I wasn't even listening I to mean, it. I mean, like, everyone, Dolly's having a moment, so, yeah. um, you know, as she deserves, so. Um, it's like, why can't we just listen to <laughs> Just listen to Dolly Parton. Um, so, so he, like, hits on her and takes her well, out he's on supposed a to be dates. about ten years younger than her, yeah. right? So she's... Her whole thing is like, I don't want to date a teenager, and, yeah. and I'm robbing the cradle, and this is ridiculous, and you know, I don't want to be one of those and women. And he actually is not, he's a little younger than her, maybe six years or something like that, but not like significantly younger, not like, you know. So he comes across as like charming, kind mm. of, and in a flirtatious sort of way. I mean, he doesn't seem terrible until yeah. we see the dark side. Yeah, so she's hanging out, it's like her day off, and her she's hanging out at home with uh, Tommy and she gets a knock on the door and there's this woman and she introduces herself as Mrs. whatever his last name is yeah. Eastman or something like that um, so you know she's there to tell her that um, you know he's married one two like she can't have him leave her because their kid has some sort of um, like hearing problem or something that costs like $4,000 to fix. So she needs his salary in order to pay for the health care. And he's missing work because he's cavorting with, That's right. with they, uh, Alice. Yeah. Like, I think they've only been dating in six days or seven days or something like yeah. that. And then he like shows up at the house and like demands to be let nope, in. He doesn't show up. He smashes the window and well, he like, knocks, comes crashing he knocks in. quite loudly before he smashes the window. But um, um, yeah, and then he like beats beats his wife up, sends her home, and then like threatens to hit Alice. Um, you know, Tommy runs into his room. It's like terrifying. There's broken glass everywhere. This um, is another one of the, the the moments where it's clearly a Martin Scorsese movie because yeah. it goes full like handheld camera like violent like you know looks like a scene out of mean streets yeah he's like throwing chairs and furniture around yeah he throws his poor wife into the wall he's screaming and shouting i think he takes his belt off and is like whipping her or about to yeah it's terrifying yeah and it comes out of nowhere so she thank god does the thing that you should do which is packs up and gets the hell out of Dodge, you know. Well, because uh, he wants to come around and see her later again. that same night. Yeah. And so. she says what she should, which yeah. is, okay, <laughs> until he leaves. And then they... They pack, get the fuck out, the yeah. Yeah. So we were watching that scene and, uh, like, she can barely focus on, like, getting the suitcase closed. So she's so freaked out, you know, by that. Um, um, but yes, yeah, so yeah, when you when you're stressed, you can't do. I can't do anything yeah. properly. I understand that. I think it's very realistic. <laughs> so, but they're able to get out, and oddly, they drive to Tucson 
of all the places that they could so go next. So the whole next. time we're watching, watching this movie, <laughs> Ashley's always critiquing. Uh, I'm like looking at the like, map. And... It doesn't make sense that they would take this route. Well, they must have not gone on interstates. Maybe the interstates weren't a thing quite yet. And you know, I don't I mean, know when the like, interstates were built. You're like, so. it's strange that they went further south and all this. And so, so Tucson like, is the movie. southeast, <laughs> and they're trying to go northwest. Yeah. And why would you go to Tucson? It makes more sense if you're wanting to. I guess Flagstaff's a smaller town, but anyway. Um, <laughs> If you're going know. to Monterey, you should go to Flagstaff, For not some Tucson. Reason, <laughs> when this was translated into the TV sitcom Alice, they just set it in Phoenix. Okay. Even though it was Mel's Diner, which in the movie is in Tucson, mm-hmm. it's in Phoenix and it's the set for the whole freaking sitcom. So she ends up in Tucson, and I guess Tucson is a smaller town, so it may be that they just don't have a whole like night scene there or something like that. Because she doesn't even try to find a singing job. I don't know if she's worried that, like, if she did find a singing job, this guy that's just, you know, an hour and a half north would would come and find her or... Something about the whole episode and maybe their finances, I think she realizes how much they're kind of actually in survival mode. Like, she yeah. just needs a job. Yeah. So that they have a roof over their head right now. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And so... Because she... she probably wouldn't I... have much savings yet. No, and I think what she says... Well, I think when she comes back to Tommy, who she has to leave in the motel all the time, yeah. right? To go off to work and to look for work and stuff like that. She comes back and she's got the, Mel's Diner. Mel and, yeah. Is it Mel and Ruby's or something? Mel the, and Ruby's. It's Mel's Diner. But Ruby's been show. dead for 14 years. Yeah, so we always, th- we, we <laughs> 70s kids think of it as Mel's Diner because it's Mel's Diner and it's played by Vic Tabak, who was Mel yeah. in the show too. Um, uh, she, I, I think that the the uh, the diner's right next door to the motel. It's yeah. literally like she's gone out to she's working the, at the Denny's to the diner to the to Denny's. La basically, the Denny's next to the La Quinta, <laughs> even though there's no. It's not Denny's. It's it's uh, it's a little. Sub, I'd rather eat at Mel's than Denny's yeah. any day. Um, honestly, Mel's is happening in this movie. Yeah. Mel's is like always totally crowded. Yeah, and nuts. Those poor waitresses. And that has, like, I think this is, like, one of the stronger parts of the movie because they really get into the relationships between the women who work there and, like, you know, um, like, because there's this loud sort of sexual waitress who sort of, like, leans into the abuse that she probably experiences on a daily basis, you know, so so being yeah, a willing she, participant gives her more agency in... And bigger tips. Yeah, and bigger tips. So that's yeah. um, the character of, the famous character of yeah. Flo, yeah. who in the movie is played by Diane Ladd. She's one of my We favorite. love Diane Ladd. Yeah. She's a favorite. She also gave us Laura Dern, so she's <laughs> Laura Dern's mom. And oh, we, yeah. we had a great conversation about them when we did Wild at Heart a few mm, episodes ago. Yeah. Well, a few episodes, I don't know, 10 episodes back? Yeah, I don't even know. a while back. But um, yeah, she plays Flo. Okay, yeah. Uh, who is loud and brash and brassy and foul-mouthed. Yeah. Everybody's talking about, yeah, she says some wonderful crazy things <laughs> and then we have vera who's the sort of quiet timid waitress who's like constantly on the verge of tears like she's like about to have a nervous breakdown every time you see her she's completely yeah. overwhelmed she looks like she's gonna just sit down on the floor she's so yeah. like do you remember there's a i mean so i mean there's a 
what is this movie? Is yeah. it a, is it a drama? Is it a comedy drama? Is it a I mean, what is it? Is it a drama that has funny sequences? Because there are some There's, things that where they push the humor a little bit more yeah. than you would. It's in very a drama. slapstick in the diner. A yeah. lot of the diner is very so you've slapstick. Got some you've got some kind of great comedic bits where you know Alice is interacting with uh, Flo and and uh, Mel on one side of the room, but you keep cutting back to Vera trying to give those three plates to the people, and it's always wrong and. That whole, it goes on forever. That whole scene reminds me of all the diner scenes from Benny and June uh, that we covered like uh, like years ago, and like I one have of to our go first listen to our own episode, one of our first five. Uh, but like it's it's a lot of diner slapstick, you know. It's and, good visual you know. humor. Um, I guess we have we haven't really talked about her relationship with Tommy. So Tommy is he's eleven, going on twelve. Yeah, he's very loud. <laughs> he's very active. <laughs> He, um, pretty sarcastic and sassy to his mom, you know, um, but, you know, she kind of, um, like her parenting style is not the dominant parenting style now, I would guess, you know, talking to your kids that way. And, no, and I don't know if that's just her way or if yeah. it's in reaction to how awful her husband was. Yeah. Because his, to basically a harmless prank where, you know, in the beginning where Tommy replaces the, the, the sugar salt, with the salt, salt, the coffee tastes like crap. He totally flips out and is like going to beat him and chases yeah. him out of the house and all that. And that seems like a little bit that's of an why overreaction. That's I wasn't sure that it, that Tommy was his kid. You know, I thought. No, that's. And then she clarifies later on that, like, she got married and he's. Well, I do have, I, it is, it does seem maybe like a small criticism to me that. In the casting of the husband. Yeah. Like, there's nothing bad about his performance, but I really have trouble seeing the connection between yeah. him and Tommy and him and Alice. Like, it's hard to see them as a couple. I don't. Well, get I mean, it. I was like, if we and think he about. also doesn't seem to, like, well, okay. be connected to Tommy. But again ways. and again, we see in this movie these men, when they're meeting women, or meeting Alice specifically, they're on their best behavior. They're charming. You're right. They're, and then and then something happens that makes them show their true colors. Well, I think you're right, because yeah. I think that Ben is... Now I'm thinking that Ben is, is offered to us as sort of, this is Dawn, her husband, all over yeah. again. This yeah. is the same thing. Sexy, well, handsome, charming. Uh, well, I mean, at least her husband talker. was, as far as we know, mostly just verbally abusive, whereas this guy was clearly physically as well as verbally abusive. So uh, Ben Ben was. So um, I don't know. It's a very different style of parenting. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Again, I, I grew up in a very kind of traditional, conventional well, not even that. I'm just like American idyllic, I guess. I don't know what the what the thing is. I I had the type of childhood that we would wish that everybody could have, you know, and not everybody does, you know. So. So I think the I I think the we were talking about the relationship between her and Tommy and her parenting style and their relationship, I guess, and. It's she isn't like very authoritarian or parental. Mm. I mean, she. There are times where she has to tell him what's you know yeah. to do something, but she does also. She's pretty forthcoming about what their situation is yeah. and what 
she needs to it's do. It's a lot for and, a kid to take on, too, to know all and of that. When she's more upfront and honest about what they're really facing, he he's able to be a little bit <laughs> easier to handle, I think. Yeah. Where, there's a scene where he kind of comforts her, and I can't remember yeah. what directly leads to that, but when she's, I think, at the end yeah. of her rope, and I can't remember if it's right after Ben or if it's or if it's after things fall out with uh, initially with Chris Christopherson, yeah. but um, where he's like, it's going to be okay, and you know, <laughs> we don't have to go to Monterey. They, they really, some of the best scenes are her and Tommy together. You know, there's the scene where he's like trying to explain this joke involving a gorilla and like you can see that she's like she's driving and she's stressed out and like she just cannot get his this kid to shut up and stop telling him her this joke and like she has this expression this that that like if if you've been around people who are parents you will recognize the sort of like wide-eyed oh, have like... you been around this situation before <laughs> yes because that that scene you're talking about they're driving in the car and he's trying to explain a stupid joke to her that's a really long narrative joke yeah. that's not funny doesn't make any sense and then he's mad that she doesn't react to it so he's gonna keep explaining it over and over and don't you get it and when he does that and and i mean this is this is so real. It's one of yeah. the most real parenting scenes I've yeah. ever seen because I'm in that situation like once a week at least still. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly more when they were a little younger. Yeah. I was, well, that's the incredible thing about kids, especially I think at that age is like they every once in a while will like emerge from their sort of self-obsessed kidness into this like incredibly empathetic little creatures you know, out of nowhere, and then they go back to being their, you know, own, in their own little kid world, you know, so, like, you see the, the, the sort of beginnings of the adult that they're going to be, but they're not there yet. Um, it's a very interesting time, I think, for, for kiddos, you know. Yeah. So, the, um, Tommy's played by a child actor named Alfred Lutter, and apparently they auditioned like 200 kids before they mm. found him. And when they got to him, they were, you know, running through scenes, but they also did a little improv work. Yeah. And like Scorsese says, like, he wasn't sure about him at first because he was very reserved and, and kind of shyer than a lot of the other kids they were auditioning. But when they went off script and he suggested that they improvise and start kind of bantering and arguing with each other, he said you couldn't get him to shut up and he was amazing. And yeah. like he kind of was so believable and they instantly had this neat connection that he yeah. wanted to get on camera. So they worked hard to find the yeah. right kid. And um, it, their work together, Ellen Burstyn and him, is just really there's great. There's this some beautiful scene where they're, um, they start off, like, dumping glasses full of water on each other. And then they, like, end up, like, you know, she dumps, a like, a, a pitcher of water on his head. And then they end up in the shower. And it's, like, a, it's, like, a, like, lovely, like, silly, playful kind of, you know, interaction between, you know, mom and kid and... You know, I just like I had kind of this relationship yeah. with my mom when I was about the same age. And it would have been like when she, when she got separated, she kept the house. My dad moved out and I did go back and forth one week, one week with them. So, I, you know, I they had shared custody. But when I was with my mom, like we definitely had this thing for a while where we were probably each other's primary relationship. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of like 
you know, had dinner together and like watched TV together and bantered a little bit together. And, and then she started to date and bring, you know, new men into yeah. the house, that kind of thing. And so there's also that aspect is familiar to me too. Yeah. Like the Chris Christopherson sort of character yeah. that reminds me, I mean, like not the person, but that reminds me of when my mom first had her, had a serious boyfriend. Um, that took you to music shows. Yeah, that took me to music shows. <laughs> and uh, and actually, we we did have a... Well, we can talk about Chris Christopherson later, but <laughs> there was a situation where I was being a smartass and, and I got yelled at in kind of a scary way no. that reminds me a lot of the scene that happens with Tommy and Chris Christopherson in this. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Well, and then, uh, so... Uh, it's all very authentic, I'd say. And Tommy starts making friends. He makes friends with uh, Jodie Foster. What is her actual name? So her name in the show is Audrey. She goes by Audrey, but I think her mom well, calls her Doris. in the credits, Doris. she's called Audrey, yeah, too. But... So it's probably, like, Audrey's her middle name, and she prefers to use it or something, And but her mom calls her Doris. So and, like, why I mean, Jodie have... Foster is so, like, genderless in this, like... It's interesting, like, when you first, like, her voice is so low, like, you can't tell, and, like, you know, other than, like, them identifying her, like, like, I didn't know it was Jodie I mean, Foster. I thought it was, I thought it was, or, yeah, it was so interesting to see that, you know. So, I think she actually, Jenning was 12 when she did Taxi yeah. Driver, so she's got to be younger. She's got to yeah. be 10 or 11 in yeah. this. Um she has very short boyish hair. Mm. And um, so why, why do we have the, her character? What do we get out of seeing her and and, the, and Tommy together? What, what does that give us to the story? Well, I think that she, like, I think they're trying to establish that they might stay in Tucson after all. That maybe this, like, going to Monterey is just sort of like a... So they're giving, I think, Tommy something to connect with and mm-hmm. like they have some conversations about like school whether he's gonna go to school in monterey and, and they're crazy the crazy science teacher at the school you know and so it's like giving him sort of a picture of of what could be if they stayed here in tucson you know but on the other hand another thing we get is a contrast between jody foster's home life and his because did you catch the detail that her mom's a prostitute in the ramada inn yeah 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 and so in a way, she's also kind of like sort of a... Which is, again, I think high class because Ramada's a nice... It's a nice place in, in Tucson. I think I've stayed in the Ramada in Tucson. But. Well, they're telegraphing <laughs> this kind of thing where she's got a weird home life with yeah. the mom who's making ends meet as a prostitute. And then they're also kind of making her sort of a troublemaker. Like she gets him to shoplift something and they get drunk together on Ripple. Yeah. And so she's kind of like... the sort of a an influence of like the next level of teen sort of yeah that's issues true. coming up and i don't <laughs> know i think it's also interesting to see how tommy relates to her versus how he relates to the adults and to, yeah. particularly to his mom because he's super you cannot get him to shut up he's like completely mm. manic and always talking and joking around and being a wise ass with his mom but he's pretty reserved yeah. with, with uh, audrey the jodie foster character he's yeah. and you see him more like he might be out there in the world with his peers yeah which again reminds me of myself as yeah. kind of like <laughs> I, I see him as kind of like almost a nerdy kind of kid you know who who's kind of quiet but like at home in their element with the people they know they're like 
yeah. yada, 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 blah, blah. Like, I was like that. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I, I, I think, I mean, I, don't, I guess maybe we flock together, but a lot of people that I know well in my life were, were like that, where when you're amongst people that you know well, that you can be, like, entirely yourself and talk about your crazy interests and, you know... Um, get up in people's faces and, you know, tease them about things. And then out in the world, it's like, there's so much, like, there's, you don't, there's so much unknown, like, you don't know how people are going to react and that, that you like hold a lot of yourself back, you know, just trying to figure out like where your place in all of that is, you know, so... I mean, I've always been a different person in public. Than, yeah. I mean, everybody has <laughs> roles and masks that they yeah. wear, but it's interesting. They, they found out a good way to show Tommy in, in different situations. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting because the relationship between um, Tommy and the Jodie Foster characters kind of very pre-sexual, pre-pubescent kind yeah. of thing, too. There's no sense that, that they're going to be boyfriend or girlfriend no. or that there's any attraction they're just yeah. kind of like buddies they're just hanging out they they take guitar lessons together and they start hanging out afterwards um they have to get bailed out of jail or something <laughs> later on <laughs> i don't know exactly what happened i think they i think that's the hospital i think oh, i think he was at the hospital although it did look like a drunk tank to me it, it was like, like the, the dr- kid in a drunk we tank. were like why why is jody foster in the drunk tank or whatever i don't know i think they it's the day they drank too much together i don't they must have gone out on the town afterwards yeah. and done something so our i guess our last our last man it's a it's a three act man it's, three man act. Chris Chris Christopherson, who she meets at work, because apparently that's well, I'm one to talk. That's where I met you. So well, he uh, doesn't work there. He's yeah, a regular. I know. He but sits at yeah, the, he, he sits at the. She, she gets picked up by customers on on the regular, or at least twice that we know of. So. Um, well, we do kind of see in this movie, you and can't he, be a woman in a, in a job in a public place yeah. in this time, in this movie, and maybe still where you're not going to get hit on by your customers every day. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's something that she kind of likes about him, I guess. I mean, he's fine. I mean, I guess he's the best of the lot. <laughs> okay. We need to unpack that a little bit because I, I feel more favorable towards him than you do. Well, and you know, it's funny because I was reading a Roger Ebert review. Roger Ebert feels better about Chris Christopherson than so, I do. <laughs> he wants to know who she is. Yeah. He talks to her. He, he listens does. to her. He's interested in uh, starting a relationship with her son, yeah. I think, too. I mean, maybe he's just using Tommy to get to know her better in, yeah. a, in a way, but he is, you know, taking Tommy out to do things. He wants to take him fishing. He wants to take him horseback riding. Yeah. He takes them both to his ranch or his farm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. He's, 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 he that's the thing cares is like, about her as a person, I think. He's on his best. Okay. So the issue that I have and yeah. which you sort of introduced is that like, he's fine. He seems like an okay guy. Like. He's, like, sort of emotionally open for a guy of that time period. And he, like, yeah, he's interested in her and her her thoughts. And they have a laughy relationship. and But then, like, they have Tommy's birthday party yeah. at his ranch. And Tommy, I, I don't know if he's hoped, hopped up on soda. Um, anyway, he gets, or maybe he feels threatened by this guy who's sort of getting close to his mom. 
you know, there's a lot of things at play, but Tommy gets kind of sassy and yells at Chris Christopherson. What is his name? I don't know what his David. name is. David. David. Uh, you know that name, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm familiar with that name somehow. Um, um, and, like, Chris Christopherson, like, yells at him, loses his temper, and then, like, spanks him on the butt. Which, like, I guess for the 70s, I mean... And maybe that's just, like, a difference in, in like, generational thing and how parenting works now. But, like, to me, that's, like, a major red flag. It's, like, he, he's a 10 and he's interested in your life and your dreams, but then he hits your kid. You know, it's, yeah. like, then he's a, he's, he's a negative one because he's... I'm sorry, yeah. I'm making reference to TikTok trends, but... You know, I just, like, to me, like, that, to me, is a red flag. So, they aren't, they aren't engaged. They aren't in a serious relationship. This is maybe, like, the third or fourth time that Tommy's been over to his house. And he, like, put his hand on her kid because he lost his temper because the kid was being bratty because he was overstimulated from his birthday party. And that's just, like, wah. Yeah. You know, I, like, I hate that this is the best option. It's, like... I totally <laughs> agree with you, but I think I think it's a difference in the sensibility of now versus then because I really feel like the movie doesn't critique him through that lens. I really feel like the yeah. movie doesn't understand how wrong that is. Like the movie itself. Uh, no, like I, th I think he, you're right. The world at the time. The world like, at the time is. is you don't disrespect your elders. You don't disrespect your elders. Sometimes someone She's needs a too spanking. indulgent in her parenthood. You're too indulgent. You, he has no yeah. boundaries. Yeah. He's mouthing off to his elders. Yeah. He's being disrespectful in my house. And so it's kind of like a, he needs a firm hand kind of thing, yeah. which would have been more accepted. I, yeah. that generation yeah I you know. know corporal punishment and all that i mean i i got spanked a few times you know yeah well i was spanked i, I don't too. justify I mean, it yeah but, but <laughs> i do think that part of the way that that reads differently is the difference between 2022 and 1974 well, i mean like as a step as a person who became a step parent in yeah you know what is it was it 20 2018 was yeah. <laughs> When we officially got married, like, I would never dream. I mean, and, and your kids were around that age when I joined this family. I would never dream of putting my hand on your kids well, what at she, all. What does you know? she do? She <laughs> takes Tommy and she walks the hell out of there. Yeah. And she said, you don't yeah. put your hand on my kid. Yeah. And Good she for her. Leaves. Yeah. But it's not actually done, done because yeah. as, as they never discuss it again, they don't is the discuss thing. it. And as time goes by, she misses him yeah. and she talks with uh, Flo, the waitress, because yeah. they do, which is up, one of the best scenes where the, Flo the, takes her into the bathroom the, and the they two talk scenes about with the, There's one scene where they're like sunbathing out in the parking yeah. lot or something, and they yeah. have a really good that's when they first become friends. And yeah. then when she takes her to the, the bathroom, the to to. Is that when she... Is yeah, that, it's, it's... It's after that? Yeah, it's after that. It's right before they get back together, I, I believe, you know. So you have that, but then you also have this this man yeah. <laughs> come in and say, like, I'll go to Monterey with you. Uh, I don't have so, to I'll be here. I'll support your dreams. It's you that I want. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't have to be here. Yeah. 
And then on her side, she's like, well, I could sing anywhere, so I don't necessarily have to go. He's like, why do you want to go to Monterey? Because that's where I remember being happy. Yeah. And of course, it's happy. Your memory of being happy as a child is not necessarily... He knows you're not going to find... It's too expensive in Monterey. You're not going to find what you're looking for. Even in 1974, it's too expensive in Monterey. He's like, what's more important, (laughs) Monterey or singing or what? What is it? You can't necessarily have all of that. Yeah. So, um, again... The movie trying to tell us he's Mr. Right is yeah. he loves he he will he wants to be with you. He doesn't care where it is. Yeah. He does support your dream. Now, does this last? We don't know. We don't yeah. know. We just know that that they get back together. Yeah. I don't know. That that scene made it really hard for me. He I mean it's like very hard. So it's like it's this hard. is the I mean like okay, he doesn't it's never felt okay yeah. to me. Yeah. I mean, that's it's always yeah. been shocking yeah. when he hits Tommy. Yeah. And, like, you really feel like... The depressing thing about this movie, and there's a number of depressing yeah. things about this movie, even though it's very good, yeah. um, is that it seems like it's saying, women, you're basically choosing between varying levels of abuse. Yeah, I mean, essentially... <laughs> would, you like the, would you like the verbally abusive? The physical... Door number two is the physically abusive Physical one. abuse and infidelity. Yeah, and, and door number three is, you know, uh, the corporal well, punishment. Well, divorcee the... that's abandoned his children? No, she walked out on him. Yeah, but... We don't know the story. We're just not told. Yeah, and well, it kind of reminds me of that. Um, I think we've talked about it before, that, uh, like book of advice for single dads that I found that's from like 1978. That's the best thing ever. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for, you know, you can use a hubcap as, as a frying pan. Why can't you buy a frying pan? (laughs) If, should your children be foisted upon you at the last minute? (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just say, you know, by 1981 or whenever my dad was separated, my dad bought the frying pan. He bought a frying pan. My dad stocked his kitchen. My dad cooked for me. My dad was a really good well, interesting. father that's, and parent. That's the bit that she, like, she because she's in the kitchen, like, cleaning up after they've had dinner at his house. And she notices, like, she opens the drawers and he's got, like, a full cadre of, like, spoons. and. I love that scene because at first I'm like, what is this scene? And it's like, why is she so flummoxed that he, he has, has he dish has towels? Dish towels. <laughs> he has dish towels. <laughs> You know, this, this is quite a catch, it's this man with dish moment, towels. It's the dramatic turn of events, the plot point where she discovers the dish towels. Yeah. And so, well, then she's suspicious. Like, is he cheating on his wife or something? Like, what's yeah. the deal here? The, clearly a woman Clearly a woman has outfitted this place. Yes. Because men don't understand about spoons or dish towels. Yeah. <laughs> a man would just use an undershirt instead of a dish towel and a hubcap instead of a frying pan. <laughs> You can get disposable ones if you don't want to do the dishes. Um. (laughs) But I mean, like, I'm again, that's another modern sensibility here is that, like, you don't just like, I mean, like, even if your wife leaves you, you don't just like not see your kids anymore. It's like, oh, well, she's gone, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the story. I think <laughs> yeah. it would actually fill him in a little bit better as a character if we knew well, a little bit that's, more. Well, that's, I mean, like, what's wrong with him? That I mean, like, was she just bored with her life? And that's, like, she left and he was an okay guy, but she just, was he wasn't the right guy for her? Or is, like, this guy seriously toxic and he's got some other stuff going on and that's why she left him and we don't know? You know, it's kind of... I, I, I do wish they'd filled that out a little bit more, you know, like, oh, life is gone. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the movie does run, I think, a little over two hours, but it still doesn't quite give us as much as I want about him, for yeah. instance. I don't want really any more about Harvey Keitel. We know character. that he, grow- he, he he has a hay ranch where he grows different types of grass. I wish I, I kind of wish there was a director's cut that had some more scenes with Alice and Flo and the the waitresses yeah. And, yeah. and her. I wish that they made a little bit more of the female friendships. I, I think to it's me really that was strong. the strongest part of the film. That and and her and Tommy. Because I'm sad and I was worried about her in the beginning. I've seen the movie before, but yeah. I'm worried about her when she has to leave this friend in the beginning. And yeah. you're like, she doesn't have anybody to talk to except an 11 year old kid now who doesn't yeah. understand anything and is completely self-absorbed as 11 year old kids are. But, um, so, you know, Ellen Burstyn, um, ha- have you, uh, have you seen her in many other movies? Yeah, I think. Okay. You've, I know you must. You've seen her in Requiem for a Dream. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the that's that's, that's one of that's the first her. films I saw in Austin. I came down for. Did you ever see the Good? No, she's not in the Good Bob Girl. No, that's no, that's not that. her. Um, why do I get that mixed up with this movie? It's another movie about a mom and a single kid, but it's not her. Um, so she's in The Exorcist. Obviously, you've seen yeah. that. And this was the movie she did right after that. <laughs> And so this was her project. Yeah. So she went to Warner Brothers, like, or she had a. They came to her like to for to develop something, and she found she wanted to make a movie about, uh, you know, from a women's perspective of kind of like, you know, the, the, <laughs> like dissecting this this kind of role that we're in and getting out of it and all that. And she found the story or the script came to her, and she took it to Warner Brothers. And they're like, well, who do you want to direct this? You know, we yeah. can put together a package and all that. And she's like, I want somebody who's young and hip and cool and, you know, something yeah. out there. And, and so somebody suggested Martin Scorsese and, and he had just made Mean Streets and was like the talk of the town. He's probably in his 20s and, you know, it's a very volatile, just great, you know, <laughs> movie of the early 70s, which you should see at some yeah. point. And so they arranged for a private screening for her. I don't think it had been released at that point. Yeah. And um, she loved it. Yeah. And she loved the grittiness of it. And she wanted this movie, which could just yeah. be like a comedy drama about a woman and just have kind of be lighter and more polished. She wanted it to look a little gritty. And so I think bringing in Martin Scorsese, um, somebody who likes to experiment with <laughs> film stock and handheld camera and like the, 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 the randomness of violence and stuff. I think that it was a really interesting collaboration, Yeah, but it's definitely one where he was hired on as a director and for the rest of his career, it's usually been, he has a project Developed. that he originates and develops. It's his from start to finish and he's fighting to get it made. And this is one where they saw somebody who was like a hotshot director and let's bring him in. Cause I think putting him together with you and this script could make something interesting happen. Yeah. Well, and, and that's kind did. of the, like the vestiges of that sort of old studio system that doesn't really exist to the extent yeah. that it used to, you know, we still don't get people unless you're really famous making able to make your passion projects, unless you're doing it on a shoestring budget and, you know, getting seven production companies to help you out. But um, we certainly are, because nowadays you just make Marvel movies just all the time. So um, not that we're bitter about it. Um. No. <laughs> anyway, I, I think at the time, like, people were hopeful that that sort of rise of, like, sort of 70s directors would lead to more of, of that sort of people, directors... Uh, 
with the but really what you end up with is directors with the ability to sell their vision Mm-hmm. You know, which is a different thing than like just anybody with a vision being able yeah. to make, you know, so as you know, from from film school. So <laughs> I didn't I guess I didn't realize that you felt like you hadn't seen very many of the 70s films. I haven't seen very many at all. Oh, I mean, well, it makes sense. Like, historically, spe- I mean, like I, I was born in 1981, yeah. which means like I wasn't really conscious and choosing my own films until like the late 80s, early 90s, you know. But when you went in and started seeing major films later, as you became more interested in film, seventies wasn't like one that you really hit, well, other than the so, big ones. I mean, like, and I think we've talked about this before, but like, my ex husband was a few years older than me, and a little more as as guys tend to be into their interests. Like, I think that a lot of women start to develop their interests in college. Um, and, like, I feel like a lot of the guys I knew, they were interested in the things that they were interested in since they were, like, 13 or something like that, yeah. you know? And so, um, like, I feel like because I was interested in film, but not... And and really, it was before, like, the internet had really sort of cauterized in, in such a way that you could, like, like investigate things mm-hmm. to in-depth. Um, so... So, like, I was interested in film, and how I, I got interested in film is I would go to, and I'm very intuitive this way, I go to a, I would go to Hastings or Blockbuster in Lubbock, and I would pick up the, like, weirdest or most interesting film that I, I and then I would take it home and I would watch it. So it wasn't, like, a studied, like, you know, you're supposed to see these mm-hmm. hundred films or mm-hmm. whatever like that. So, like, by the time that I got to be with my ex-husband, we always enjoyed watching films together, but he had already moved past that sort of like he's seen the American. He's probably yeah. already sort of systematically done yeah. major periods. And so genres. I've probably seen some like weird stuff that was like you know eighties and nineties cinema. Yeah, you always that surprised he, me with stuff that, that I didn't he think was seen. he was watching at the time. Like he always like cult films. So I've seen a ton of cult films and stuff like that. You I know? can't get over that. You the only person <laughs> I've ever met who's seen Spider Baby yeah, or knows about. I it. love Spider Baby. Yeah. <laughs> well. The so, 70s I mean, like, is, is one of my favorite periods <laughs> yeah. in American film. And so now yeah. I have to think of, like, what else would you like from that period? But, or I just mean, like, that you should have seen. I'm still the same way, though. I mean, like, I almost, I don't want, I don't love those lists of, like, films you must see before you die. Because, like, I'm not, look. that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, like, the film that matches how I feel right now. So I go to Criterion, I'm like, ooh, this is a, you know, a little piece about, I mean, we went to the Criterion sale and I was like, yeah. ooh, a Japanese 80s film about a funeral. Yes, I'm into this, you know. <laughs> I didn't know I was into it until I saw it there and my gut said, we got to see this. You know, so that's, that's, to me, I'm not, it's not, it's not something that I'm looking to learn. It's like an experience that I want to have. Yeah. You know, um, so, so that's. And and the thing is, is rarely do I want to have the experience that's like tough seventies masculine guy, gritty urban seventies masculine movie. That yeah. that's not my favorite. And that's same thing with. I mean, like I know there are a lot of good westerns. I've seen many of the best westerns. I think Colin was going through a phase on that, so <laughs> I've seen a bunch of those. You know, but I I often am not in the mood for, you know masculine jingoistic you know 50s westerns so just, just uh, often i'm not in that often not in that mood, mood so you know 
and and you know frankly racist and sexist yeah. and and all the things that often you know and like i believe that the, i mean like red river is a great film uh searchers is a great film but it also has some very unpleasant act you know unpleasant mm-hmm. aspects of it you know just like i mean this film which is a, a delightful film to watch but it does definitely have some like stuff tough stuff to come from and the thing is is like the toughest thing about this is there are there are millions of women all over the world that are still these are their best choices yeah you know and that's depressing that's depressing as fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that you know oh well at least he you know he yells at us and doesn't ha- connect with me emotionally but but he supports us and, but he uh... supports us i mean and and like that that is like the best they can hope for and that's so sad because like women have so much that they can offer you know and and we're not even allowed to a lot of us are not allowed to explore that and find out who we are and what we could offer the world you know because you know and it's <laughs> it's depressing as fuck because like it's about to get a lot worse here in the United States you know there's thousands of beautiful and talented and amazing women who are just never going to get to realize their potential because they're going to be locked into marriages and relationships and parenting when they're not ready and they're not, you know. My mom went to college in the 50s or something like that. And, like, she was going to go into the foreign service and she studied Russian language and Russian studies and, like, started that whole process and was going to do the foreign service exam and, like, be a diplomat and that whole thing. And then, like, her parents and my dad's parents kind of pushed them together like, no, you need to just get married. And then she dropped all that and, yeah. you know, had kids instead. Well, and, and I think you, I mean, from what you've said that yeah. she never was happy in no. that relationship ever, you know. No, she never felt, she didn't feel like she got the connection with her husband that she was promised. Yeah. And she didn't feel appreciated. Yeah. Or necessarily respected as an equal. And, you know, she had to grow up in the world of raising the kids and not have that much adult interaction with him. Yeah. You know, in terms of conversation and connection and like being being a true partner with someone. And I think that's a lot of what we get in this movie, too. Well, that's that's the thing that's depressing. I mean, like. So my, my, my mom raised me to be self to to find my satisfaction in my in in myself, you know, which means in in the history of my life, I mean, like there were three major relationships that I had: one in high school, um, which ended as it should have; uh, one in college that probably went along a little bit longer than it should have. Um, but he was a great guy. I mean, like he he really was a fantastic human being. We just didn't work, and then. In my third relationship, I was able to find what the connection that I was looking for. So not only someone who would support me, but who matched with me emotionally. And like, I feel like a lot of us get locked in. I mean, a lot of people don't have those choices. You know, they aren't. I mean, like, if I'd ended up with, well, it would have been weird if I'd ended up with my high school boyfriend because he was gay. But (laughs) I, I mean, like, I never, none of them, none of those would have ended in like, abuse or either physical or emotional it -hmm. just like we got it was just about like how we worked as a relationship together and not about like any threat to my personhood or anything like that you know and and so in 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 a way that I've I've been really lucky 
in that. And I would want everybody to like, no matter, you know, who you end up with to end up with a guy, even if, you know, he's not the like, perfect guy who's your soulmate, at least someone who isn't like going to abuse you or your children, you know, Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. But I'm, I'm glad they made this film. It's, it was, it's just hard to confront that reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I guess it's a lot to think about. Yeah. And it's not after you kind of unpack it a little bit, it's not quite as quaint or irrelevant as it might seem at first in terms of being like another time because there's a lot of people still in this position. I mean, I mean, that's the thing is this until we, until we achieve, I mean, and it's not just in westernized countries until we achieve global gender equality where Everyone is respected, not even gender equality, global, you know, where every person is respected for the person that they are and what they have to offer this world. Then, I mean, like, we're going to have terrible stories like this where there's, you know, where people get degraded. And, like, while we are not punishing the people who deserve to be punished for, you know, creating terror and fear and hatred and 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 like bringing forth the worst in humanity you know you know who, you know who cares if like i mean like maybe if 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 she had the ability to figure out what she wanted to do with her life she could have you know maybe she'd be a great singer or maybe she would have decided that singing wasn't her deal and she decided to do something else but like well i don't think we're there yet and yeah. i think what this movie does is it gives us the sense of this is the beginning of her story after yeah. that marriage. Yeah. She gets to figure out who she is now. She gets to learn to be a better parent and have a better relationship with her son. She gets to meet and have relationships yeah. with at least one man who's who's better and yeah. and he's not perfect, but he is better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, she has the dream of singing in some way, whether that's what she actually has a career of or, or find some other way to do. I feel like, you know, this is like act two of her story or chapter two of her well, story. And I, I and love I have that. Sense, I'm, I'm all about yeah, that. Like, I, I don't sense. think nobody's done at 35. No. And you know, <laughs> I, you, when this movie ends, it's not settled and we yeah. don't know exactly where yeah. we leave her. I still feel like, like she may decide to stay in Tucson for a while but she's still on the road. I mean, yeah. this is like this. She's got the rest of her life, and she now has a second chance. Yeah. I think it's a second chance movie. I think it's she's well, learned to figure out who she is and what she wants and what kinds of compromises she may have to make and what her values actually are without them being force fed to her. Yeah. So, I mean, like I have a sense of her as a full person who has a story yeah. that continues beyond this movie. And I don't always have that. A lot of movies just kind of end and tell you yeah, exactly true. what to think and feel. They close the book. It's very tidy. And, you know, the seventies movies do a lot more of, I wouldn't say this is a true ambiguous ending, but it does have a sense of this character's going somewhere and they have more of a story. Do you remember that weird movie that we watched on Criterion that I just chose out of nowhere and it was about this woman who... Um, was it the one with Talia Shire looking up her old boyfriends? Yes, that one. And then she like... I don't know. Was, was it such, called Old Boyfriends? What was it called? Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. she. But it's similar. It's like a road movie and yeah. then she goes and visits all her ex... Uh, her ex-boyfriends 
I bet it's made around the same time or maybe a couple years later. Does she have a kid too? I think she does. I don't remember. That seems like there's a kid in it. I, I was don't really know. glad we saw that. Yeah. I'd never heard of it before. I, it was it was very it was a very weird film, and then the at the very end, like you have this character that's been very um sympathetic the whole time, and yeah. then she goes to meet her I think he was her high school boyfriend. And it turns out he died in like Vietnam or something like that. And so she ends up or in some war and or maybe it was Korea. And then she ends up sleeping with his um, developmentally disabled brother or emotionally oh, disturbed brother. How come I don't remember? It was and called then, Old Boyfriend. Yeah. And then it's anyway. So I I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um and that was like just a weird one that we watched. I think there are a lot of like in seventies and then Clute, you know, which is a fascinating film as well. You know, well, we're in the seventies. We yeah. see richer, more nuanced, full yeah. character movies about women. Yeah, virtually for the first time. You know, so it's they're not all masculine movies. Yeah, and you, you get to see stuff like this. I really want to watch that movie Wanda, that independent film from mm. the seventies that that turned up on Criterion recently. Okay, never yeah. heard of before. Written and directed and starring. Um, I can't remember her name, but well, that, uh, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because well, in the seventies, we have more women going to school, which means more women going to film school, mm-hmm. which means that we're going to start to have more narratives. And in the sort of like height of the first, well, was it second wave feminism that came up through the seventies? Um, you know, so I mean, like, you know, of course, there's the ones that everybody knows, you know, the Sally Field one and all of that. But I mean, there's so many of these like smaller, you know, and they're not, I don't know. But yeah, they're that kind of where you're, you're hearing the story of complicated, complex women that aren't necessarily just sympathetic that, you know, they make mistakes and they, mm-hmm. you know, are, you know, you get to explore like why they're in the situations that they're in, which I think is another thing that came out of sort of the, the, you know, civil rights movement and, and is that you get to examine more about the social forces that led to, you know, the, you know, social conditions that Mm -hmm. we see, you know, that there's more than just like, Oh, these people are making terrible decisions, but really that society is, you know, leading to these decisions being have to being made, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> we need to watch some more, find some more of these, root out some more of these uh, yeah. films about women from the seventies. Yeah. And more that were made by women. There's not very many probably, but well, uh, and since, um, you know, we <laughs> currently legally back to 1973. So, um, <laughs> Maybe it's if not uh, 1953. Well, people make that, but I mean, like we're talking about 73 is when the when the laws changed, you know. So um, yeah, you know, that's, we're going to reference this. Well, I mean, and, and when you talk about you're talking about major recession, which we're about to go into, which we've, I mean, this would be like the fourth recession that I've lived through, major recession that I've lived through in my lifetime. Um, uh, gas price crisis, energy crisis. Um, yeah, you know, why do world we have to security do this again? thing. We already did this. Why do we have well, to do I this? Well, I didn't. I haven't been around I've for this. this. I remember the gas me. crisis. I remember yeah. the lines around the block in the Well, 70s. I mean, I think that a lot of t- through from like the mid to late 70s through the sort of, I mean, 
I, I don't know where you draw the line. You could draw it 2001 on, with the beginning of the War on Terror, or you could draw it, I don't know where you would draw the line, but I feel like we had, for much of my life, sort of like a, an isolated calm, and that we aren't used to the sort of this like turbulent time that the 60s and 70s were, mm-hmm. you know, and so maybe like in the cycle of history, it's like time for another sort of every once in a while, there's a time of like big change and revolution and people Volatility. fighting to regression and, and that sort of thing. And just because the last regression in the eighties was a peaceful one, doesn't mean that this regression is going to be, you know, um, but, um, you know, <laughs> I, th- I assume that people living in the seventies were as frightened and, confused and upset as we are now, you know, so I mean, I don't know if it brings anyone any comfort, but um, that we've been through this before. (laughs) And there is life after it. And yeah, there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be death and destruction and, and loss. um, But that's just sort of, I mean, and, and we should mourn all of those things and, and do our best to alleviate those. But that that that's just sort of what it is to be human on this planet, you know, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is some sort of rationalization that I have that, you know, allows me some level of sleep at night in the last two weeks. So. <laughs> and every once in a while a movie. Yes. Yeah. And lots of Degrassi. So much Degrassi. So much Degrassi. Yeah. Um, Do you have any other (laughs) thoughts about the movie? I'm Uh, glad that I showed it to you. I I just like, sometimes I'm nervous that I'm, you know, well, not nervous, but like, I'm, is this the right choice? Uh, Yeah. You know. Is this going to be another naked? (laughs) Well, you know, naked, naked was still a good conversation. Yes. Yeah. I would watch it again. Maybe I should find something that's more... uh, that's going to lead to more of a <laughs> conflict. Uh, no, I'm not looking for conflict, but um, I do. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like having seen that, like now I have something to compare it to. So I couldn't, you know, and also like, you know, what, what all have I learned about the world in the three years since we've seen that film, you know, and, and the truth is a lot, a lot about the world and life and, and film and, and like, and why it's important to tell stories that are difficult and to tell stories about people who are um, challenging or abusive. And that helps us understand ourselves and our world, you know, and, um, you know, as long as we're not glorifying it, which I definitely don't think Naked was glorifying that, you know. No, but it's also... <laughs> To your point, I mean, it's, as a viewer, is this someone you want to spend two hours with? Yeah. I mean, you have a choice as to, do you want to be in this, this conflict, in yeah. this psyche, and this, this destructive? Well, I, I will, I mean, like, so I've, I've read some, like, reviews of the new, um, and, and granted, I've not seen the first Top Gun, so I can't, but I've read some reviews of the new Top Gun, which is apparently, like, a terrible, jingoistic like shit show with like completely wrong history and and mm. facts and and all of that stuff. And I'd much rather watch Naked again than watch uh you know something that celebrates 
this idea of America that is destructive and that our only purpose in this world is to make, is to, you know, enforce our ideology on other places I in the world. I will see anything by Mike Lee any yeah. day over <laughs> Top Gun <laughs> part, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so. All right. Well. I think uh, we're going to call it a wrap yeah. on, on uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore, although yes. it sounds like she might still live here, so I don't know. She, she might be in Tucson, or she, she could have <laughs> moved on to Flagstaff. The weather is nicer in Flagstaff, honestly. We- maybe she made it to Monterey. I don't know. Maybe I'd like to make it to Monterey. Something? Colorado Springs has a whole like performance thing, or maybe she made it up to like Boulder. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and in Annie Hall, how come when Diane Keaton starts singing in piano bars, she immediately meets Paul Simon, who wants to cut a record deal with her. So we don't we don't get that in this movie. But there you go. <laughs> and that's enough. Well, Paul Simon doesn't hang out in uh, Tucson much, I don't think. So, Or maybe he does. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to call it a day. Thanks uh, for listening to us uh, cover Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore by Martin Scorsese. And particularly if you only know Alice, the TV sitcom from the 70s, I do urge you to go back and see this one. I also don't know that. (laughs) No, I had to show uh, her the opening titles and a sample scene just so she could see how this was somewhat translated into a sitcom. kind of like Roseanne, like early Roseanne. It all takes place in the diner. It's Alice and Tommy and the the gang at the diner and uh, all with the laugh track. So it's it's quite different. Anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time with Ashley's Next Choice. Ashley's Next Choice. Ashley's Next Choice. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye.